Welcome to Mr. Rewatch, your Mr. Robot recap podcast brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Aaron. I'm Devlin. And I'm Dave. Yeah. And uh, we're all we're all here because I am obsessed with uh, the holidays. And every year I nag you two for months that we should go out and for the listeners, we should build a Kevin McAllister snowman. And every year all the snow melts like it just did again. <laughs> And uh, we have nothing to do. I guess we all have global warming to thank for that. Yeah, why is it ruining all my plans, guys? <laughs> and all your children's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's... <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, I think in the interest of doing something uh, festive and special, uh, we tried to think of an alternate idea that was less dependent on uh, the climate and so instead, we all gave a rewatch to one of our favorite holiday movies, uh, Home Alone. is this one of our Christmas traditions um, it's probably many of households but it also is one that is featured in Mr. Robot. I have a theory I'd like to advance about this movie and actually I'm going to broaden it to say that I think that um, in observing this film and trying to analyze it now as an adult that I think all John Hughes movies are uh, fundamentally about class war <laughs> I can kind of believe that although to be honest um I never really connected that all of John Hughes, that all of his films were by him until like adulthood. I had watched all of them as children without realizing it at the time. Yeah, he has a certain style. Like once you realize that, you realize that all of his movies are kind of the exact same movie. Yeah, kind of, right? Yeah. Like laid onto different contexts, but kind of the same story. Uh, well, I mean, now that I think about like Pretty in Pink, like that, that that's right? probably the quintessential example. But like I'd never really related him alone to that. Well, I think, you know, if you think about, and I'm jumping ahead, I can't decide if either, you know, Kevin is really over-identified with the oppressor here, you know, right? He's from this rich, rich family, you know, and it's his house and he has to defend it. <laughs> or if Harry and Marv are like an imperial power and he has to be the resistance, I can't tell. Yeah. I can't tell. But I think I could probably make a case for either interpretation. I guess. I suppose like what Marx would say is that Kevin is imposing violence to maintain his private property. So like, who's he really? Right. So maybe I lean more in that direction than <laughs> of my first theory that like, what's it to, what's it to him? He's like a little kid. Oh, and he's abandoned. Yeah. Who's looking out for him? The bandits are just trying to seize the means of production. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm assuming by that, you mean the water faucets in the house. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, I think there's just a clear case for somebody to get a cultural studies master's degree on this particular subject. And luckily there's like five whole volumes to go through. You know, I admit I've never seen the last two. Have you two seen all the Home Alones? I've seen up to three. Me too. You? Only the first two for me. You didn't even see the third one? With the weird kid, Kevin McAllister? That's no, that, right. That's why I didn't watch any of those ones. It's the, it's the exact same plot. Of course they are. They all are. But with a little brunette kid. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I like the second one, I admit, but I think it's because I see myself in the bird lady. <laughs> <laughs> that we all. I like Donald Trump's uh, cameo in the oh second one. Oh my God, I forgot that. Yeah. That was the only time he's been seen being nice to a child. 
Remember, yeah, I was saying, remember when he was the kind of guy who would be asked to like do a cameo in a children's movie? <laughs> like, how interesting. So not being from New York, I didn't notice, but in Home Alone 2, like apparently a lot of those um, locations that they visit are famous landmarks. And the reason that they had um, that cameo from Donald Trump was that he owned the Plaza Hotel where they visited. And it turns out that the Plaza Hotel is actually like a real place, not like a castle in a Disney fantasy or something. I mean, it's more or less that way, but you know. <laughs> there's a lot of gold there. Um, I really think this first one has aged well, though. Like, I think it stood the test of time because when did this come out? Are they early 1990. Yes, 1990. Yeah. I read that earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> As we were briefing ourselves for this this informative uh, episode, um, I also thought you know maybe we owed it to the listeners to try to see if we could find some. Mr. Robot parallels besides the fact that, uh, and obviously Darlene and Elliot would have loved this movie. I just feel <laughs> like it's a real weird outsider kid movie. So what, uh, do you have any parallels noted? I think, um, Devlin, you caught one really early in it when, um, Joe Pesci is, is he dressed as a cop initially? Yeah, he is. And what is a little strange there is that like he uses that to gain their trust, but that would actually make me like even more suspicious. But um, he was like um, pretending to be a cop to kind of like um, case out the uh, the building that he was going to later go and burgle. I think one thing in this movie and in Mr. Robot, um, there's sort of this underlying theme that you should be very careful about your assumptions about who is good and who is evil. Oh, that's a good point, because there is kind of the one parallel where you're initially led to believe that um like uh like i just mentioned that like the burglar is actually the cop in the end but there is the corollary where um the person who you initially think might be the villain actually kind of ends up saving the day right because they think that the neighbor i feel like i'm probably this neighbor to people you know the quiet neighbor that keeps to himself is always salting the sidewalk I've taken notes salting the sidewalks um, that uh, they think he's like a murderer, right? But he, but he ultimately saves him. So is that exactly the same character as the pigeon lady? Yeah. <laughs> I think I almost wondered if in the second one, they were like, guys, we really should have like a woman character in here. Oh, you know, that actually does remind me of something. Do you remember at um, like the beginning of the first movie when um, they're showing the photograph of uh, Buzz's girlfriend and they kind of like comments on how ugly she is. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently that actually is um, like uh, a man who's comically dressed as a woman because the director thought that if they had a woman in that role, like specifically to make fun of her, that it would have been too cruel to do to somebody. Right. Because that isn't cruel <laughs> in any, any sense. That's... <laughs> I didn't know that actually. <laughs> um, the sibling rivalry is like kind of hilarious. Where I thought, <laughs> oh, I guess I don't know. Maybe I just haven't had to be exposed to that many guys like Buzz in my life. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I feel bad for all the people who are the little brother of that guy. Well, you're talking about um, sibling rivalries, and while I'm talking about weird film trivia, you know, um, that character Fuller, who is like the the kid who pees the bed. <laughs> yeah. That's um, Macaulay Culkin's younger sibling who has his own like film career now. And this was his like debut. Does he have a film career now? Yeah. I think he was in like at least three big movies. Oh, no kidding. Because I was just going to say, oh, what was it like to be the kid in the shadow? <laughs> of <laughs> well, your... by now he's probably like overtaken Macaulay Culkin, to be honest. <laughs> well, poor Macaulay Culkin has had kind of a rough 
ride yeah. over recent years. It doesn't years? seem like he has. Well, no, by now. I thought he had not been well for a little while or something. Or like, I think his early 20s. Okay. And now he has like a really popular podcast that's about eating pizza. Really? Yeah. He's got like, he's in a band. He's got a website called Bunny Ears, which is like, uh, it makes, uh, it's hard to explain, but they do like five tips to get skinny this summer. And it's like all parody articles. And uh, it's really good. Yeah, he was on uh, a popular podcast that runs for three hours. Oh, uh, it <laughs> shall not be named. It's on our podcast. But it was really interesting to like, because he talks about like his life. He actually got set up really well with the money he made as a kid. So he's actually been living off that for the last like oh. 10 or 15 years of his life, just you know, reinvesting it. And A little yeah. bit of other trivia, though. Um, well, I guess this is less trivia and more just like outright gossip at the expense of celebrities who we all get to pick apart because they're members of public life at this point. But um, uh, Bakali Kelkin, um, his parents like didn't get along when he was recording this film. So there was a really bitter dispute about who would get the money that he had earned um, after the film was actually such a success. And um, the film was such a success. It, it like um, still continues to be one of the highly the highest regarded Christmas films out there. Um, but it also kind of like overshadowed every other film that came out in 1990. So it really like ended up being a larger success than any of them had anticipated at that point. I think too, after kind of his experience, I think there were different laws put in place to protect the earnings of child actors from predatory parents and their divorce proceedings. <laughs> I would have hoped that would happen after Land Before Time. Why would happen in Land Before Time? Yeah, you don't want to know. I don't want to know. Though you don't. <laughs> the, the father killed the child star in like a murder-suicide. Oh my God. Yeah. That's horrifying. I didn't know yes. that. Yeah. Well, but you I didn't, didn't want to know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I truly didn't. Um, one thing, um, I think one of my favorite line in this movie is always um, when uh, when Kevin gets like exiled to the attic and he's like, when I grow up and get married, I'm living alone. And uh, I think I'm going to get that embroidered on a pillow for my house. I'm going to get that embroidered on my face. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> when I was listening to the um, this movie again this morning in preparation for this episode, like I heard that and I remembered how much you liked that line. It's one of my favorites too. I'm pretty sure you've talked about it on this podcast. Have I? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure you've brought that line up before. It's funny how these childhood things imprint on us very strongly. <laughs> uh, one Mr. Robot parallel... Um, there's a, the morning when he wakes up and he he has like magical thinking, right? He thinks he's caused his family to disappear. But there is also, is it in season three where Mr. Robot just goes away? Where he drops off and it's just, oh yeah, just old Elliot all alone. And he kind of exiles Darlene too. And uh -huh. he's like, so it's like, oh, I think part of it too, it's, there's this kind of cautionary tale about both of them about like, be careful about the world you imagine uh-huh right like where the five nine hack doesn't necessarily go the way they wanted and um when he decides maybe his whole family disappearing isn't the best i think he would have still liked a lot of them to disappear though honestly i think maybe he just wanted the mom back yeah that's what it seems like is that the only one he really cared about was his mom because like his uncle is kind of a dick oh yeah yeah like who like do you want that uncle hanging around at christmas time uh, like and i would uninvite him and he was a dick to everybody like not even just kevin no just yeah. like his just wife his own kids. yeah yeah the, the one thing that blew my mind is like when kevin pushes buzz over and they knock the milk everywhere and just causes a fiasco at dinner um and like the way the uncle's like you, 
look what you did, you little jerk. You little and his, jerk. And his dad doesn't say anything. Like, if my brother said that to my kid, right? I would probably step in. Yeah, do you, like, would you try to manage the situation? But it seems like everything's on in the McAllister house. Like, I don't know. Uh, it, it was just a weird thing where I was like, I wouldn't let my brother talk to my kids that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some things fortunately have advanced in parenting when I think calling your children jerks is generally <laughs> considered unacceptable now. <laughs> but I think back to an earlier time and I think may- maybe that was on. I don't know. So you can really tell that I had spent about half an hour on the trivia page of IMDb earlier because um, like to some people it probably seems a little improbable that they might have um, managed to leave one of their children behind when they're going on a trip like this. But what you mentioned earlier about when they um, get knocked over and spill milk on the table, um, when they're using the cloth to like wipe up and, sp- and throw away the milk, what they also throw out is one of um, the passports and flight tickets. So, like, that's where Kevin's ticket ended up going. It has Kevin written on it. Yeah, exactly. And then later, when um, they're doing, like, the head counts before getting in the car, there's also the neighbor who comes by and gets counted as Kevin, as, like, a case of mistaken identity. So even when they're doing the head counts later, they also think that he's accounted for. So they try and kind of, um, like, accommodate for all of those, uh, like, suspensions of disbelief that you might need to put in place (laughs) before uh, the story actually gets on. Although I admit, so I fly about once a week, and I've never once managed to bring both a belt and deodorant. Like, I think it's fully plausible that in a group of 13 children that you could totally forget one in the attic. I kind of buy it. I kind of do. Yeah. Well, she tasks uh, her daughter to do the counting and making sure all the kids are there, right? And she's the one who makes the mistake with the neighbor. So Catherine O'Hara's character is just, like, focused on getting everybody there, and she's kind of, like, uh, delegated the jobs to everybody else yeah. so she probably would not have missed kevin but right. it wasn't her job to get him you know one thing about Catherine o'hara if you're not already watching her new show Shit's creek which is on netflix and on cbc uh in which she plays sort of an aging television starlet who's trapped in a tiny town uh, it's she's amazing like she's truly uh, and Eugene Levy and his son are also in it there's also a really progressive queer storyline in it I love Shit's Creek that's what I'm saying watch Catherine O'Hara in that it's show. a great it's a phenomenal show yeah it's very funny too like it's really really, really good funny. yeah that's good to know because I assumed that it would have been really bad from the name so I'll give it a shot now that you see a verse for it well what's <laughs> wonderful about it is it is like a classic story about a rich family who loses everything and how uncomfortable they are and how they have no life skills in the world <laughs> so it's sort of it's like arrested development but I but more Canadian like way more Canadian way more eyebrows too oh I love those eyebrows <laughs> I love those that whole family they're just adorable um, Aaron, there's one bit of trivia that I thought that you might have liked especially. Did you catch a look at what the name of the um, pizza store is that they order from a few times? No. I know it. Do you? I, talked, it? About, I talked about it last night. It's called Little Nero's. Oh. <laughs> I want to open, maybe when I retire, I'll open a pizza store. We'll call it Little Nero's. <laughs> and we'll have a gold guy out front that the delivery driver will always knock over <laughs> when they return. Did you find any other good trivia on that page? This is great stuff. Um, another thing that just like stands out at the top of my mind is that a lot of the John Candy um, dialogue was all improvised. 
Like, he has a very long monologue about leaving his kid at a funeral home, which was just, like, made up completely. And then okay. it left um, Catherine O'Hara or whatever to just be like, how do I respond to this? So she just said, we the way, shouldn't talk the, about this. <laughs> the way she kept her, like, composure, because, like, when he was going off on that line, I was like, this is the funniest thing <laughs> I've heard in so long. And she's just, like devastated by this story that she's being told it's like oh, she's a phenomenal actress i didn't know that was improvised and actually john candy is also amazing so after i watched this with one of our other siblings and then we decided to watch uncle buck after it so i didn't realize that an even younger macaulay culkin was the kid in uncle buck um and i think it might even be i want someone to pr- to tell me whether or not it's young and dowd in uncle buck because i can't i can't totally tell but that's another like movie in that same vein that's just like it's completely hilarious john candy is like a brilliant com- comedic actor can i talk about kevin for a second yeah let's talk about kevin there's a lot of theories out there that he's a psychopath <laughs> we really? need to talk about kevin right <laughs> And uh, which makes sense because everything he does um, would actually like in, in the physical real world would actually murder these guys. Like okay. a, a lot of the things that he uh, a lot of the booby traps he sets, especially the paint cans that would shatter somebody's skull, a full paint can with that velocity coming down. Didn't somebody work out like some like a scientist worked out how this would kill people? Yeah. Like they did. all. Yeah. OK. And so there's the one thing I wanted to point out, though, is that he's also. He may be a psychopath, but he's a phenomenal engineer. Every booby trap worked exactly the way he planned them out. That's Those true. are very calculated. Yeah. Maybe he says in practice. Maybe. That feels a little sinister. <laughs> like, who is he practicing on and why? So, I mean, it's interesting to think about how this uh, tiny child is a very effective killer. Uh, probably could have been farmed out as a mercenary. You know, for any number of purposes, um, uh, it's funny to think about how dysfunctional he is, though, because there's this one scene that I find really, really relatable. And so that's where, you know, his family's gone. He has all the freedom in the world. And what he does with it is he goes out and buys a toothbrush. What's the first thing you would do? I think I'd probably make sure I had a good toothbrush, you know. (laughs) And maybe uh, what else would I do? Well, I mean, the thing is, I already do live alone. I already live this life. And what's the toothbrush like? It is the best. It's got a tongue cleaner on it. It's got ultra-sensitive bristles for your gums. It's uh, it's it's great. Is it approved by the American Dental Association? Oh, yes, it is. Nice. <laughs> Nine out of ten dentists even would recommend <laughs> it. <laughs> so I, I i essentially you know live kevin McAllister's fantasy it's possible it's po- it's possible for any of us <laughs> it does remind me of the grocery store scene where he's like buying all the food and uh he's like are these microwave dinners any good <laughs> she's like i don't know like, i'll try su- them out you'd be surprised how many have a big hunk of pork in them <laughs> and then yeah she has like the, the little army men too she like kind of pulls it up to him he's like for the kids <laughs> That whole interaction is really good because he's he's very cunning. She's like, are you here alone? He's like, of course not. I'm eight years old. <laughs> then she's like, uh, where do you live? He's like, I can't tell you that. You're a stranger. It's very effective, right? And I mean, what's also sort of sad about it, further to your sociopath theory, uh, is that he his adultification is so intense that he no longer even identifies with being a child or having a childhood. You know, it's it's tragic in a way. <laughs> Anything else that really catches anybody about this movie or that stuck with you over the years? 
there's one scene with the worst audio mixing I've ever heard in a major motion picture. Oh, is it the first scene? No. It's when he's in the church and he just has the conversation with his neighbor and he's kind of like comes to this revelation that, you know, oh, I do love my family. And, you know, uh, the bell rings. So he starts running home because it's almost nine o'clock and they mix in some like very heavy Christmassy music. But it goes from the choir to like a bell ringing to like this really loud music. The choir and the music are in different keys. And it's just like this <laughs> clash of sound. And I was like, oh. Because <laughs> I remember I noted that last year because we may have watched this movie last year. We may have. And uh, I was like, oh, it's just terrible. And then like that scene happened again. I was like, oh, it's still terrible. <laughs> I'll never get over it. Uh, but that does bring up the fact that, oh, I closed it. The guy who made the music. Oh, yeah, because it's funny because you were saying you think the opening music always reminds you of music from another movie. <laughs> it always plays in my head as the Harry Potter theme song. Well, guess what? <laughs> what? Both scores were composed by John Williams. Are they the same John Williams or is that just like a very generic name? No, I went on his Wikipedia page <laughs> and I searched Home Alone and Harry Potter <laughs> and it showed up. So Wow. What else comes up when you search for Home Alone and Harry Potter? I would read that fanfic. <laughs> uh, there must be some. You're a wizard, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else we want to say about this timeless family classic? Well, speaking of how timeless it is, I've seen this movie dozens of times, but most of the time I had been um, like a child. And I feel like the parts that I had remembered were all like the last like 20 minutes and everything before that all this kind of seems to build up to the climax where there actually is like the intrusion and all these fun traps playing off and stuff. Um, but all, all of the scenes before that, like I had just mentally forgotten about, like just never even bothered to even think about those. Well, it's funny because that last 20 minutes, that's some very powerful slapstick comedy, all of that, right? And it's also interesting to think about, I mean, this is like a pre-Jurassic Park world where there weren't really special effects, right? So when you think about how entertaining it really is without any of that stuff, it's pretty great. <laughs> I feel bad for the stuntman who had to step on the ornaments with his bare feet. Oh, those were candy. Because, hmm? Those were candy. Were they? Uh, yeah, was that, was that I, the I trivia? Was on, I was on the trivia page. Because <laughs> it, it looks like something a stuntman would do. It's just like actually step on ornaments for that scene. No, that would that would probably require surgery. But uh, one thing one thing that actually was true is the tarantula. Although one thing that was not true about it was that like um they put it on um Marv's face and um then like he screams, but they had to do that as like a mime and a voiceover because otherwise the spider would have got scared and they wanted it to be nice to the spider. Nice. We were, we were wondering, like, when I was watching it last night, I was wondering about the tarantula. <laughs> and I was like, I hope they treat it well. Because, like, there are scenes where you, you see it get thrown around and it's kind of, yeah. like, pull itself back up. And Well, that was the stunt tarantula, so it's... It's sad. used to that. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the kindness afforded to the spider in this particular uh, filming. Yeah, it's way better than Charlotte's Web. Well, they're pretty, they're pretty okay to Charlotte. Aren't they? Well, she dies. Of, of old age. <laughs> <laughs> of natural causes. Actually, was a, um, spiders are a very important uh, Ukrainian Christmas symbol. Why? Um, so there's a story about this very poor woman 
and she has no nothing to give her children at Christmas. So she saves a pine cone and she grows it into a tree for them. But then she has no money to decorate it. And so the spider takes pity on the family and it spins its web all over the tree. But then in the morning, all the strands turn to gold and they get to be rich. Wow. Yeah. So Ukrainians sometimes, we're Ukrainians, so this, this matters. <laughs> um, uh, put little spiders on their Christmas trees, uh, which looks super creepy. Um, I like it, though. I yeah. kind of like like the Halloween Christmas crossover going on there. Right? So, yeah. You can put up your tree in October. It's like Nightmare Before Christmas themed. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So, yeah, you'll see little spiders on people's trees. And uh, I didn't know that until I was in my 30s, but now it makes some sense. Um, another Eastern European tradition is that um, in Poland, Home Alone is held in like especially high regard. It's one of their real Christmas traditions to watch it there, too, even more so than us here. What else? Did you learn anything else great from the trivia page? This is also interesting to me. Apparently, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern were very indifferent about the movie when they were filming it. Really? Yeah, so a lot of their, like, over-the-topness was just them not caring. Well, because Joe Pesci was a quote-unquote real actor, right? Like, I have mm. to say, I didn't know, I don't know what Daniel Stern has done other than this, but I think, I almost thought, well, for people who were serious actors, did this movie seem just goofy or ridiculous? But then it became, like, a cultural phenomenon, so it was a good, it was a good play, you know, taking the role, I think. Another thing that Daniel Stern was in was, um... The critically acclaimed sequel, Home Alone 2. <laughs> so was Joe Pesci. <laughs> it's, I wish they had made them more like Law & Order, where like everybody had been in Home Alone once or something. <laughs> oh, there's a deleted scene where Marv and Harry are singing their own demented version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town. I probably would have not liked that in the movie, but would like to see it on its own. Yeah, we should get a DVD copy. Ooh, we should. Maybe it's on there. Maybe we can find a YouTube link for, for the listeners. Oh, your, your scene about the toothbrush was the first sh shot scene. Really? For the whole project, yeah. I was That must be so disconcerting when you're working on movies to shoot it all out of order and then have it all cobbled together. Like, acting in a play makes sense to me because you see the story arc, but I would find that totally just hard to anchor yourself in any kind of reality or performance it must come up a lot and um you remember we recently recorded um an episode for homecoming that that series had like two discrete timelines so i imagine that they probably had to do a lot of filming like that where they had recording where one character was in like their past it wasn't a spoiler their past like timeline costume and then they need to record all those at once and so on and so forth Another occasion where that will happen is when, like, um, the hairstyle changes or, like, you need to get a haircut or something between timelines. So, Old Man Marley, the neighbor, was not in the original screenplay for this movie. Huh. It must have been so boring. They, they shoehorned a very important part of this movie into it. It doesn't feel shoehorned to me. It does. It feels very natural, like the flow of his character, but it wasn't in the original screenplay. That's, uh, that's interesting. Huh. Oh, also, Kevin is never shown in his own room. Maybe he doesn't have one. The house is his room when you think about it. <laughs> Maybe he lives in the attic full time. <laughs> right, there's a lot of trivia on this page. I, I yeah. suggest all of our listeners just go and read this whole page. Yeah. Just pick a random one. Yeah, uh, one more. The heating implement Kevin used to heat the doorknob is an electrical charcoal starter for barbecue grills. <laughs> that is the least interesting piece of trivia you've ever <laughs> Our gift to you, listeners, 
It's a it's an electric <laughs> charcoal barbecue stirrer. It's not nearly as good as propane. Chris Farley auditioned to be Santa Claus. You know the oh, Santa Claus really? outside the car? Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't they give it to Chris Farley? I mean, the guy outside the car, no, but he has a more restrained performance. And to be honest, I don't see a lot of that from Chris Farley's work. So I kind of like the guy they cast, you know, in a way, because I think an over the top because he's just like Santa's just a job. He's just a session Santa, you know, this is a good one. This is the last one I'm going to read. Hillary Wolf plays Megan, his sister. She quit acting after this movie so she could join the U.S. Olympic judo team. Yes. You should fear the sister. She should have her own Home Alone movie. She should. Where she fights her way <laughs> in hand-to-hand combat against the intruders. I'd watch it. Home Alone 6? I'd yeah. watch it. Uh, yeah, that was the last one I'm going to read. There's so many. Listeners, go read this page. And that's just the first movie. Yeah. Amazing. We, uh, we strongly encourage you to rewatch this movie this holiday season. We love it. Uh, when the snow falls, if ever it should fall again, uh, build yourself a Kevin McAllister snowman. I've got one last thing. Catherine O'Hara puts a quarter, an American quarter, into a French payphone to call the United States. That's how you know it's going to the United States. <laughs> so. Now that is some free trade articulation deal that... Uh, Sounds Nixon era. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, listen, we uh, we want to thank you uh, from all of us here at Mr. Rewatch and wish you a very happy holiday. Um, this episode was recorded today in Toronto, Ontario, and we would encourage you, if you have a couple of dollars to spare this holiday season, to consider supporting an organization that you care about in your community. So thank you so much for listening. Bonsoir.